everyone, and welcome to the Lift As We Climb podcast with me, your host, Kaylin Grace Apple, also known as the Redhead Academic. While we each strive to achieve success, we must also remember to lift as we climb. In today's episode, I interviewed one of my best friends, Ashrakat Al-Shahewi, a DPhil student at the University of Oxford. She grew up in Egypt and has traveled all over the world for her several academic degrees. She's incredibly impressive. She studies political science and political economy. I wanted to highlight her story and the figures who have inspired her in order to drive home the message that no matter your background, you have the ability to change your life and create opportunities for yourself, even from outside your own country. We recorded this a couple weeks ago, and it was the first time I'd ever recorded an interview with anyone. And I want wanted to highlight it this week because I think that Ash's story in particular is incredibly inspiring coming from the Arab world and being raised by a mother who really encouraged her to pursue her academic goals. And I think that she is just such an incredible person. She has been such a light in my life personally. She's one of my first and best friends from Oxford. She is incredibly kind. And I think that her message and her mission of also giving back while she continues to strive for her own successes is just so admirable. And it's something I wanted to highlight on this podcast. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I think you are going to just love it. And if you guys enjoy, please remember to give this podcast a review on Apple Podcasts or feature it on your Instagram story. I would love to see that you guys are listening along. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. And let's get into this episode. And now for a quick message about today's sponsor. Anchor is a free podcast distribution platform which takes the guesswork out of recording, editing, and distributing your podcast. If you're considering starting your own podcast, Anchor is the best, most straightforward platform for you. You can record directly from your phone or computer, add the clips in the Anchor app, upload, and have your podcast distributed to platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other listening platforms for free. If you're interested, go ahead and check out Anchor on your smartphone or laptop. Now let's get back to the episode. Hello, Ash, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Hi, Kaylin. I'm so excited to be on your show. It seems like a great idea to have uh, different types of people appear and talk about different things. And I'm so excited about also the other episodes uh, that are going to be coming ahead. Thank you so much for contacting me about this. I'm so glad that we get to have you on and that we get to hear a little bit about your personal journey and your academic journey. And I think that it'll resonate for a lot of people. So to start out the episode, we're going to discuss what has inspired you in your life thus far. For example, we're going to talk about who and what inspires you. So we're going to start off with the question, who from the past do you look up to? How has their legacy played a role in your personal and professional life? I think there are definitely different people. So I think the first person is definitely my mom. I know it's not a historical character uh, or it's not the expected answer, but I think she inspired me a lot to actually pursue higher education and know that anything is possible. And she did that because she kind of always uh, was trying to enhance uh, a lot of interest. And uh, I remember going to the library when I was five, the Biblioteca Alexandrina, the old library of Alexandria. And going through all of these books just opened my mind to all of the possibilities out there. 
but I also I can also relate with a lot of Arab figures that uh, kind of uh, are extremely inspiring, and I think they don't take as much credit in in the Western world as they should. Uh, for example, one of them is Ahmed Zouil, uh, who is an Egyptian chemist, and uh, he's also called the fa the father of uh, femtochemistry, uh, which he won a Nobel Prize uh, for. Uh, and he, he is actually the first Egyptian to win a Nobel Prize in, in a scientific field. And I think I remember my mom telling me, uh, see, like, if Ahmed Suhail, uh, who comes from a rural area in Egypt, has won a Nobel Prize, anything is possible. He has two hands, he has two legs, that you have the same. So anything is possible. And I think uh, hearing that as a child definitely made me feel like, oh, okay, yeah, I can do this. Why not? So I think he's definitely one of the characters that I look up uh, to uh, a lot. I think another character is uh, Taha Hussein, who is uh, a 20th uh, th century uh, novelist, uh, a writer and an intellectual in Egypt. He also comes from a rural area and he lost his eyesight when he was two. Uh, but I remember reading all of his novels in school or when I went to the library and I always thought like he has such a vivid imagination how could he do this if he lost his eyesight while he was two and all I think all of these things made me feel like yeah if they can do this if if they can use their potential to to the fullest then maybe I can be able also to do something like that in the future uh so yeah, I, I hope that kind of answered your question a little bit. Yeah, no, I think that it's just so important to highlight who we looked up to as historical figures or even figures in our day-to-day -day life and people we look up to today because in a way they kind of showed the way that you can that you can go on to achieve success or even uh, change the pathway to a certain career or alter the ways in which we think that we actually have access to things such as having access to academic fields coming from um, countries that don't perhaps highlight similar aspects of like Western culture and higher education with the university system. So next, I wanted to talk a little bit about growing up in Egypt and how that influenced your education and career goals. And a little bit about you said that your mom was a huge inspiration for you and that she really pushed you to kind of look beyond and to think that you could really pursue anything. And do you think that that is a unique experience? Do you think that you found other support networks in your community? So what was it, what was it like growing up in Egypt and how did that have an impact on you and your goals? I think I, I'm extremely lucky because both of my parents have went to university and I think that is something that is definitely helps you a little bit when it comes to educational and career goals and this is this is also something that we need to be aware of when we talk about academic equality but in in my case I was extremely lucky because most both of my parents also valued education so much and this is why when they thought um, for me and my sister what would be the most valuable thing that they can give us and I, I think both of them agreed so much uh, that education would be the best gift that they can give us. So this is why I think what has influenced my education and career goals the most is going to the German school in Alexandria. It's a distinct type of school that uh, is being run uh, 
through Germany on Egyptian land. And uh, it has been in Egypt now, I think, almost about 100 more than 30 years. Uh, and it has a huge history of um, great education. And I think this was definitely what a head start for me because you, I learned four languages. Uh, I could... Um, I could have access to Germany later because uh, it it made me fluent in German and this is definitely something that gave me also the feeling that I can think critically, I can actually achieve a lot of things, I, I have access to kind of further education and yeah I think uh, I was extremely lucky therefore and I'm always thankful for both of my parents uh, because of this amazing um, opportunity and also because of their um, because of their influence in a certain way uh, that has something to do with gender equality. So I grew up never listening uh, that I cannot uh, do the same uh, as a man. On the contrary, I always, me and my sister listened in our household to my parents consistently telling us that we can do anything that we want, that we are smart enough, that we are talented, and that we should never believe in any sort of gender stereotypes. So I was really lucky uh, therefore, and this has helped me a lot until now in my, in my educational aspirations and also career aspirations. I think having the influence of your parents, no matter what, has a significant impact on your feeling of self-worth and your feeling of accomplishment and the things that you're actually able to achieve. So I think it's it's really wonderful that your parents were so supportive. Yeah, and also I think another thing that I have to mention is my sports career. So I was a professional swimmer uh, for almost uh, nine years. Uh, I was for several years, years a member of the Egyptian national team for swimming. And this has also shaped the way I think my productivity level, uh, how I think about time and how efficient I am. And also um, being professional in the way you deal with everything and knowing and setting goals and knowing that I, if I want to achieve them, I will have to consistently work for them. Because swimming, I think, swimmers uh, say that it's a very boring um, sports because you keep doing all of these laps in the pool, right? Uh, and you keep training for a minute or two minutes at the end. Uh, and to, you have to have this mindset that kind of tells you, yeah, I'm doing all of this for a future goal and I can see it happening, not in the near future, but I know that it will happen. Um, and all of this and also the German culture, of course, that I grew up with since I was a child, uh, they have helped me a lot uh, being efficient, productive and knowing exactly how to reach certain goals. I think it's interesting that you highlight having a professional athletics career because, I mean, that's something we have in common. And I think that having an activity that whether it's sports or something else that kind of creates a work ethic that is separate from academic work, it creates a lot of the same habits that you do end up using as an academic to succeed. And I think it's interesting that you highlight that because I think I've always thought that having some kind of activity as a child really helps shape your ability to succeed in the academic sphere and the professional sphere, no matter what, because no matter what you're doing, whatever sport, whatever activity, whatever club, you're still learning discipline. No, 100%. I totally agree with you uh, on, on those points. Yeah. Okay. So now we're going to move on to the next question. Uh, why did you choose to work and study in different countries? So 
We know that you went and studied at the University of Mannheim and now you're at Oxford. So tell us a little bit about that transition and kind of why you decided to make that leap. I think uh, when I was in school, I always knew that I want to study abroad. And uh, I knew that I want to study in Germany because uh, it's the language that I uh, grew up, uh, of course, uh, learning. And also I resonated a lot with the German educational system since I was in in a German uh, high school. So this is how my journey abroad has started. I started studying uh, political science and psychology at the University of Mannheim as an undergrad. And I think my first years abroad there, I saw a lot of possibilities that were not possibilities, actually, if I was a student in Egyptian university, which is like all of these exchange programs that the universities are part for. And and I was fascinated by the fact that I can actually integrate uh, different uh, countries in my study, being in different countries in my, in my study. And I chose during my undergrad to go to uh, Ireland and uh, do a semester at Trinity College Dublin. And here it widened my perspective even more because I was like, okay, I loved the German educational system, but I learned from a whole different perspective in Ireland. The professors had a different way of teaching. I had to uh, also different ways of examinations that kind of triggered my thoughts in a, in a different manner. And I was fascinated by that after my uh, semester in Ireland. And this is why I kind of promised myself whenever I would find an opportunity to go live in a new country and kind of study there and get to know their educational system, this will provide, uh, I guess, more insight into my own research because it will teach me different strengths of different schools. Yeah, so after my master's, I got uh, the opportunity to work as a visiting scholar in the US at the University of Houston uh, with uh, one of my advisors and uh, mentor. And uh, I think it has also been a great opportunity to discover how the US system works, how the uh, US academic system also works. And I think it was a great opportunity to understand that and also live in Texas, which is by itself a very interesting experience. and then I applied broadly for my PhD, and uh, of of course it's a great opportunity to be accepted at the University of Oxford. So this is how Oxford happened. But uh, definitely, I would recommend for anyone who are starting their career or educational career to take all of the opportunities they have to discover how their field of study is being taught and thought of from different schools of thinking in different countries. And uh, of course, I was lucky because I found these opportunities, but I also pursued them. Um, And I think, of course, it broadened my horizon. It made me meet amazing people such as you, Kaylin, all of our friends group, and um, not only on the educational level, but also on the personal level. It was definitely enlightening. Yeah, I think I, I absolutely agree that being able to study in other countries or even other universities teaches you a lot about your subject and how it's being taught and perceived and teaches you different methods, teaches you to highlight different things in your research. So I think that the fact that you've had the opportunity to study broadly between a variety of countries and a variety of educational systems is definitely helpful, not only to your research, but your teaching as well as a, as a scholar who hopes to be in academia. No, I just wanted to say, I think it sounds awesome, but sometimes the reality hits as well that financially it's very uh, challenging. So this was the case for me as well. I, I, um, 
I faced a lot of trouble when I was thinking about all of those plans to know how I will finance them. But I just wanted to say one thing for anybody who would be listening to this and think, oh my God, I will not be able to, to do this on a financial level. I think there are always um, ways to kind of finance yourself and you just have to be resourceful and look for them. So for example, in Ireland, I discovered that even though I'm not a European uh, citizen, I could participate in uh, the Erasmus program and it helped me a lot finance uh, this semester and of course a uh, combination of scholarships or also um, finding a work opportunity all of this is uh, our ways to pay for these experiences so I think every one of those experiences has been financed by a different uh, source um, and yeah I just think it it uh, it is a good thing to learn how to look for these financial resources that can support your dreams or aspirations uh, educate. Absolutely. Yeah. In education. Yeah. Uh, so one other thing I wanted to talk about is what kind of challenges you faced as a woman from the Arab world entering schools in Germany and Ireland, America, and now the UK, and kind of the difference between your experiences in academia in Egypt versus your experiences in like, quote, Western academia. I think my my experience in in Egypt has been also slightly so I didn't go to an Egyptian national school and I never went to an Egyptian university and this is why I always felt like I'm lacking a little bit of this Egyptian university experience but I can talk about my challenges uh, that I faced in the western in western academia and I think we can start by something that you also might have faced as a woman is stereotypes stereotypes about being a woman stereotypes about being Arab, stereotypes about being Muslim and what all of these things mean to different people. Um, some people would would uh, comment on your intelligence, some people would comment on why you are actually in the West. Uh, is it seeking for freedom or really seeking for education? So you meet certain people that can doubt you and they can doubt your goals, but I think you also meet people that are fascinated uh, by your uh, by your journey and that want to know uh, more about it. Uh, but I think for me, the biggest uh, challenge is definitely um, borders, these uh, or national like visas to visit all of these countries uh, holding an Egyptian passport it might not be the easiest to travel around the world and I think definitely I noticed that uh, sustaining my visas uh, in Germany or getting a visa to the US getting a visa to the UK so every place or Ireland I had to uh, to go to or visit or study in I had to always make sure that uh, I get over these country uh, borders. And I think for other Western academics, this is not a problem. Uh, and this like this puts a lot of inequality in the academic field because think about all of the conferences that you have to attend. Uh, they majorly take place in Western countries. Uh, if you're a holder of a passport that kind of disadvantages you, uh, then this is a huge challenge. So I think this is one of the huge, uh, definitely, challenges that are not talked about enough uh, when it comes to academia um, and how Arab scholars or actually scholars from other also uh, developing countries fare against Western scholars. Absolutely. And I think that that's something that I want to be able to highlight on this podcast is those variety of experiences and what it's like to enter the field of academia 
as as a woman or as someone from a foreign country and how we are able to find pathways and routes to academic success and being able to publish and being able to attend conferences. And I think that being able to talk about different types of difficulties to access, including visas, is incredibly important. And I think that that resonates with other people that are looking to get into academia. For example, clients looking to get clients of mine that are looking to get into Oxford, and they definitely have issues finding funding or they have issues with their visa being able to actually attend these universities. So I think that's definitely something worth worth discussing and is something that I want to be able to highlight on this podcast. So thank you for talking about it. <laughs> I think you're doing a great job actually with all of your chal- uh, with all of your channels. I'm so proud of your YouTube channel and I think you're doing all of these different things to make uh, academia more accessible. And this is why I was very thrilled uh, to appear with you on this podcast because I think your goal um is definitely a worthwhile goal because uh, it doesn't hide kind of the inequalities that we have to access academia and i think also within the western world it's not only a comparison between uh, the western and uh, um, the middle east for example but it's also Absolutely. within the western worlds you can find all of these inequalities as we talked before about for example uh, your parents academic background this can can be a source of inequality or where you grow up uh, in the country right like the urban rural uh, separation all of this uh, Uh, definitely needs to to be highlighted and talked about. I absolutely agree. And that's why I think being able to highlight it on this podcast and on other social media channels, that's that's one of my goals and why I wanted to be able to have you on. Um, So just a couple other fun questions. So if you were to choose any other career, what would it be and why? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, I, I think I would love to I, as cliche as this might sound, but I like helping people and I like of thinking also of my research right now, being able to kind of even impact people's life, uh, lives, even if it's at the slightest. But I think I would like to maybe be a doctor to kind of also have like on hand experience on like uh, making people feel better and uh yeah, or like um, because I studied psychology, I, I would also not mind being a shrink listening to people <laughs> i'm not sure if i'm going to be successful in this <laughs> but yeah if uh, if my career kind of fails but i always had a dream if my career uh, in 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 academia didn't work out i think i will try to move to a mediterranean island and uh, sell ice cream so okay good backup plan at least no matter what Either you'll be servicing academia or you'll be serving us, us serving us with ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So let's talk a little bit about what you enjoy about your research. Um, you don't have to go into any specifics necessarily, but just talk a little bit about why you do the research that you do and why you enjoy it. And even, even the parts that you don't enjoy, even if you want to talk a little bit about kind of the variable experiences that you have in academia, because that's something I think that we don't talk about enough. We talk about how isolating academia can be, but we also don't talk about, we don't talk enough about how collaborative it can be at times. So I think I, it would be really interesting to hear from your point of view, kind of the, the 
things that you enjoy and the things that you find kind of difficult within your research and within the academic space? I think what I enjoy the most, and it's related to the question uh, about uh, if I could choose any other career, I kind of enjoy that through my research, I can impact uh, people's lives. So I'm very interested in uh, um, developmental economics and behavioral economics as well. And uh, I I really enjoy understanding uh, reasons of poverty, also how rural areas can be provided with better public goods, how to kind of improve the well-being um, of people, especially locked in poverty. And this is uh, the line I try to take in my dissertation currently. Uh, I enjoy, I think I enjoy the most having this creative process, and this is why I wanted to do my PhD, is being able to think, evaluate previous uh, theories, think about different ways you can measure stuff. Because I think the same concepts, and this is something that we learn about in political science and economics, the same concepts can have different ways uh, of measurement. And uh, this certainly provides us uh, with new insights. And this is something that I really enjoy. I enjoy, as you said, the collaborations with my co-authors. And I think if you have a good team uh, going on with your co-authors, research can be really fun because you have different tasks and uh, you can enjoy from different uh, expertise of different people. What is kind of challenging, I guess, is the length of the review and publication process and how you can work on a certain idea for four years and get it published after five. (laughs) And this is kind of the hidden, I guess, the hidden aspect of academia, because sometimes you see people publishing a lot of research and you yourself think, okay, I'm not productive. Why is it the case? But I think there are a lot of other factors that are related to why papers get published and Of course, there is a luck factor involved in that. Of course, it's related to merit, but um, I think this can be a little bit frustrating because until now, academic achievement is kind of mainly measured by publications. So you're always in this race to and this uh, kind of pressure to be uh, academically productive. Publish or perish. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I think that I want to kind of bring it back to what you said about collaboration as well. I think that one thing that I have found that's really positive about the Oxford system and the college system in particular is that it allows interdisciplinary work and it allows for people from a variety of fields to kind of come together and collaborate or even just talk about their research. And I think that I also wanted to highlight the fact that you're the president of the MCR at Somerville, and that we've been putting on these talks for interdisciplinary research and being able to highlight the work that our graduate students are doing, and how you've really made it a goal of the MCR as a governing body to highlight interdisciplinary work. So can you talk a little bit about the importance of that, not only for you personally, but in your research and how you think that academia can function. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. I think for me, for example, during my master's, I got introduced uh, by my my supervisor to a data scientist. And this was the first time I I got uh, like um, 
I got to see the big data world and how machine learning works and what is natural language processing. And as someone who never knew about this, because I, it's not, uh, uh, those are not methods that are used in my own field, I thought this is a whole new world that I can integrate into my research. And this is why I think uh, collaborations with this team, my supervisor and uh, my uh, co-author who works now at the Alan Turing Institute, uh, has has provided a lot of strength into my research and uh, has gave me a whole new set of uh, uh, tools that I can use uh, further. And this is why I think collaborations are extremely important, especially as uh, we were saying across different fields, because they can open up uh, different ways to do your research. You can you can definitely use tra more traditional ways, but you can merge them with different ways. And I think right now, uh, especially in my field, this is being more and more appreciated, like thinking uh, outside of the box and crossing over to other fields to see their methods, to employ them into your own research, uh, computer science, uh, uh, big data, uh, data analytics are a big field right now. And I think uh, you can use them whether you are uh, doing research in biology, economics, um, any sort of physics, any sort of research. And as you said, uh, when when I thought about starting the academic talk series of the MCR, I had this uh, goal uh, of enhancing these collaborations because I thought we have such an interesting set of people doing all of these different projects in Oxford that are really fascinating, working with different uh, research groups. And I see a lot of similarities in the research However, nobody knows about what the other is really doing. And this is why I thought this academics talk series uh, can enhance us listening to others, what they are doing. And then we can think, oh, I can collaborate with that person. I can think about a cool project that we can start. And I kind of see this happening as the first session was more was about uh, environment, uh, the environment and geography. And I could relate a lot to what they are saying. And I'm not uh, I'm not someone who studies specifically uh, these fields. So I think it's fascinating what you can do uh, when you cross different boundaries and when you introduce people to actually different fields. And I wish we had more systematic ways uh, to do that. So I hope establishing this uh, academic talk series is something that can go on uh, in college and that can establish these links between different um, subfields. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks for talking about that, because I think that it's something that we should maintain as a goal throughout academia and something that I have definitely learned from in our MCR and at Oxford. And I think that that's really important. Uh, so now I want to talk a little bit about where you see yourself after your PhD and kind of what your what your overarching goals are. I think I think I want to be a professor. <laughs> that was something I want to stay in academia. Uh, I love teaching and learning and I think this is the perfect career goal for me. I I know that academia can be challenging but I think I'm willing to take up these challenges uh, and keep working uh, on producing new exciting research and I think this is kind of the aim where I see myself after the PhD but it's a whole like long process of having to go through postdocs and trying to find uh, a, a way to kind of uh, climb this ladder. So I think I'm taking it right now, step by step, but I'm very excited about uh, what's coming. And I'm trying to be also uh, strategic about ways in my PhD where I can work on my 
personal and career development by, uh, for example, teaching more so that I, so that I establish for uh, myself and learn also how to be a good teacher academically, um, being part of different research projects, having some editorial experience in journals. Uh, all, of, all, of, all of these are things actually that I'm thinking should help me reach this, um, this career after I finish my PhD. Excellent. Uh, I have similar goals. So um, it's always nice. It's always nice to hear that other people are also still pursuing the academic route, because as given your research, I think that there are so many careers available to you. But I think it's also admirable goal to want to stay in academia and teach the next generation of researchers and students. And I think that having people that are really passionate about their work is something that's really important. And as someone who has also had mentors in the academic field, I think that it's so important to to bring the next generation in that's also going to continue to inspire. Totally. I Yeah, I definitely agree with you uh, on that. So I wanted to talk a little bit about what was the best piece of advice you ever received? I think that the most important personality trait is grit. Uh, and I totally agree with that thinking about, I think at the beginning when I heard that I I wasn't sure even what grit was, you know, English is not my first language. (laughs) So I Googled it and I was like, I, I kind of understood, uh, that it's a very important trait because you, you need to be able to not give up even under very hard circumstances. And of course, speaking about what we are all going through right now, the COVID-19 situation, this is also something that even if our circumstances are going to make it very difficult for us to keep doing what we are doing, whether research or work, even if we have lost jobs, I think there is always hope in what to come. And if we are consistently looking out for our goals, we're going to get there at some point. And I think I'm also finding it uh, challenging at the moment or especially at the beginning of all of this uh, with uh, feelings of um your family being away, uh, how will this impact my research, all of these questions. But I think grit here comes into perspective and it makes me feel no matter what is happening, I will try my best and I will keep trying until I succeed and reach my goal. Absolutely. I think that having a strong work ethic and being able to kind of persevere no matter what, especially with your with your research and with your goals, because you're so passionate about it. Uh, creates a space where or creates a mentality where you can actually build up confidence because you continue to kind of persevere through these difficult times or kind of little bumps in the road that you may you might experience and so I think that that's that's really good advice so the last question I have for you is (laughs) how do you quote lift as you climb how do you hope to inspire others I think I think I I tried to making uh, to make small uh, steps to this because I think as as you know and as what you are doing it's very important to try to also give back to the community that is trying to also pursue the same goals and what I do for example on my website I have created a small blog where I write about how we can make academia more accessible for Arab researchers what are the resources out there how can they have if they want uh, a similar sort of career path or similar education all of these questions about uh, financials uh, in 
in my area of expertise of course mm-hmm. uh, i i love uh, to help with so i think i i'm really passionate about people being able to access academia because for me uh, growing up i always thought yeah i will have an a, 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 a university education but i never thought that it's possible for me to become an expert in the field to become a professor academia seemed very inaccessible for me and i think if there's one thing that i can do is basically try especially for arab researchers that speak my own mother tongue to make it seem that it is accessible to try to help as much people as i can to show them uh, their ways into higher education but also in top universities uh, such as uh, the university of oxford so i hope i can inspire others by being uh, a woman uh, of uh, arab descent uh, being a muslim who could do this um, and i think in academia i haven't seen a lot of people like me and this is why maybe i thought it's hard um, to reach that but i think the more people talk about it the more people there are that you can consult and ask and be um uh, helpful uh, then the more we can inspire other people to also uh, have the same access or the more we can reduce uh, the educational inequality that is actually taking place i guess over across a lot of countries uh, in the world Absolutely. I think that being able to see people like yourself in positions that you eventually want to hold, such as in academia as professors, that that gives others hope. And I think that that's why I wanted, well, that is why I wanted to highlight your story as well as a variety of people's, because I think that being able to see someone that looks like you, talks like you, came from a similar background to you, is so just generally inspiring and that it creates a pathway for others to look at and say, I can do the same. And also, hopefully, they choose to also give back in the same way. All right. So now we've reached the end of the podcast. So I wanted to be able to give you a little shout out and I wanted to put in the show notes where everyone can find you. So go ahead and plug your website, your Instagram, anything that you want to mention here. So that way they can follow you and they can seek advice, hopefully. And hopefully you can inspire even more people. Uh, yeah, thank you so much, Kaylin, for this. I will definitely paste my um, my contact uh, details. And thank you for organizing this and also for your initiative. Uh, I think it's a great thing what you are doing. And I'm sure it receives popularity because a lot of people are resonating with your message. Um, so thank you for inviting me. And I hope you guys enjoy uh, this conversation between me and Kaylin. Uh, Have a good night, I guess, in the UK and good morning in the US. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you so much for coming on. And now we're going to go ahead and head off into the conclusion of this podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed that interview. It was one of my favorite ones to record. I loved getting to interview Ash and to hear her story. I hope you guys found it inspiring and that you enjoyed the conversation. I hope to have her on some videos in the future for my YouTube channel, and I highly recommend that you check her out on her Instagram and her website. She has just such incredible resources for you all, and 
though I cannot convince her to start a YouTube channel, unfortunately, I think that the other sources that she has on social media are incredibly valuable. So please go check them out. And if you guys enjoyed this podcast, please give it a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and leave a quick little note. I would really appreciate it. It helps boost the podcast because there is not really an algorithm in the same way that Instagram or YouTube kind of pushes content. So share it with your friends. Let other people know. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Bye everyone.